passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 240 post show. I am John Pollock, reunited with Phil Chair Talk. I know a lot of people, they were very disappointed. UFC 239 came and went, and... There was one consensus by the end. They said this was no international fight week because we did not get our post show. So you know what? This John Jones fight, it didn't even happen. We're, we're just skipping 239 and we're going to the real mecca of the UFC summer schedule. That was UFC 240. <laughs> Edmonton. 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 Yes. The, the, what, the... what more could you possibly want out of a, out of a fight card than, uh, going to Edmonton? Yeah. The fight capital of. Western Canada. Well, Phil, uh, have you ever been to Edmonton? No, I haven't. I'd love to go. I have not been either. Sounds like a wonderful place. They got some, uh, they got some very good fights on this card, but I would say going into this one, I won't lie that when I sat down tonight and I had to hit the buy for $65 as I'm staring at Christoph Jotko's name, uh, this is a, this was a tough ask for, $65. What would you, what would you say if you were given this pay per view to sell? What was the value of this card going in, not coming out of it? What, what is this card worth? Well, I'm not sure what it's worth. That's, that's a tough question. I, I need to think about that for a second. But with the name value of both Max Holloway and Chris Cyborg and seeing Chris Cyborg coming off her first loss, in uh, over a decade, I definitely think that 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 is appropriate pay-per-view event. Now, uh, the rest of the card, on the other hand, uh, was definitely thin on typical UFC pay-per-view talent. Um, but fortunately, uh, as you mentioned, uh, they got some pretty good fights anyway. Yes. So last time... We started from the main event and went down, and Phil gave me the constructive criticism after that we should start from the bottom and go upward so that we can we can really really hit our our rhythm by like <laughs> fight number three, and then we're just rolling. So uh, bear with us during our first fights as we uh, as we get onto the same page here. Does that sound like a plan? Do, do you feel like Eric Koch is going to uh, sufficiently warm us up to get into the meat of this card? Uh, well, it's it's a start. It's a start. Before we start going through the fights, did you happen to see any footage today from a particular autograph session where John Jones got a, a surprise fan that showed up? Uh, I, I sort of saw the video, but I didn't. I, I didn't really hear uh, any audio from it, so I couldn't really make out what exactly happened. So it was kind of insignificant for me. Why I did something it, happen? Yeah, it was pretty insignificant. And I'll just say, if, if, if Corey Anderson ends up bypassing the light heavyweights to get this title fight, then good on him because he got, he, he, maybe he landed a fight by jumping into his car for a trip to the mall. Good for him. <laughs> could you imagine just showing up at Fairview Mall, Phil, and you could have a life changing moment just by showing up there and, uh, and yelling at someone? I'm, I'm going to have to change my plans for tomorrow. <laughs> Well, there was a uh, there was no such yelling involved between Kyle Stewart and Eric Koch, which is how we started this uh, card back in uh, 
another time zone. Uh, Eric Koch, who everyone's probably thinking, yes, that was the guy that I remember seeing fight at lightweight and even fighting at featherweight. Yes, he was coming up to welterweight for this particular fight. And I mean, this, this was really, uh, this was just a very glaring, uh, indictment of weight cutting Phil because this guy did not look out of place in the least as a welterweight. Not at all. No, he didn't. And, uh, he, he was, uh, going up against a pretty g- big guy as well in Kyle Stewart. So Coke in the, uh, this one goes, uh, three rounds. Eric Coke gets the unanimous decision victory. Uh, he was, uh, Coke was landing early on and I, I gave him all three rounds here. We got to see him, uh, get side control in the second round off a takedown attempt by Stewart and then working for a Darce choke using his strikes. Into the third, um, they were kind of fighting at distance, but Coke would close up that distance, and that's where he really shined in this fight. And Coke went to the mount after working for an arm triangle that really wasn't close. Stewart moved to half guard, and uh, it was a very aggressive end for Coke. I thought he looked his best in kind of the closing minutes of the third round, but the judges scored this 30-27, and then two judges had it 29-28. So Eric Coke uh, gets a victory here. At welterweight, his first fight in a year and a half. He had not been in an octagon since January of 2018. Pretty impressive win. Uh, controlled the fight. Kyle Stewart was tough. Uh, and it looked like Coke was kind of, uh, you know, uh, wilting a little bit at times, but he was able to find, uh, uh, that top position at the end of the third round and really, uh, crank it up and, uh, almost got a finish there. Um, the difference was really just the technique. It seemed like, like Kyle Stewart was tough, but he just didn't have, uh, as good a technique as coach and, you know, and that's why, uh, he wasn't able to win any of the rounds. And afterwards he did this interview and he was stating that he would cut down to featherweight from 185 and sometimes 190 pounds. That guy would cut down from crazy. That is insanity. Absolute insanity. But hey, he opened up Fight Pass and maybe a welterweight is going to provide new life for this guy. Uh, and then our other Fight Pass fight saw Jillian Robertson, a Canadian, take on Sarah Froda. And do you want to describe the, 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 uh, the ink game that Sarah Froda is sporting? Because it is like something out of a movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, uh, daughter, uh, who was, uh, who saw that fight asked me if, uh, you know, she did that woman tattoo her head? Uh, yes, she did. She tattooed her head and her eyebrow and parts of her face and neck and arm. And, uh, and, you know, she had this shaved head. She had a pretty cool look, actually. Um, it was very unique. Yes, this was, uh, definitely a, um, a contrast in uh, demeanors here at the start of this fight. Uh, Robertson uh, took her down immediately. Froda's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and Froda had this very tight guard and at one point looked to be going for an inverted triangle, which it's one of those – like this did not look all that close, but all Joe Rogan needed was a hint, and he was just going to go to – uh, 13 on a scale of 1 to 10 and he's just talking like Joe Rogan will see an opening and suddenly it's like this is dangerous this is very dangerous and he's very reluctant to give up on something that he sees as a possibility even when the world has realized that this is not a possibility but nonetheless Robertson got free uh, and busted Froda open uh, with an elbow by her left eye then into the second round, another takedown. Froda attempted the submission off her back, which terribly backfired because it ended with Robertson mounting her and then just lighting her up. And I hate to say this, tattooed her with elbows. Oh, uh, my goodness. Nonstop elbows. I think we've hit our, our mojo here. In <laughs> and Jillian Robertson stops Sarah Froda at four minutes, 13 seconds of the second round uh, to gain a uh, victory here in the women's flyweight division. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Froda showed a little bit of, uh, threat on the ground, but once, uh, it was clear that Robertson could deal with those threats, it was very one-sided and, uh, it was a pretty, uh, savage victory for, uh, Robertson. 
Yeah, Robertson is now four and one in the UFC. So slowly uh, putting together a good resume for herself uh, in the UFC's flyweight division. On to the ESPN prelims, or as we call them in Canada, the TSN five prelims. I don't know if that has the same ring to it. Uh, Alexandra Pantoja took on Devison Figueredo. Uh, this was a flyweight fight, and during their entrances, uh, Anik and Rogan were essentially just celebrating the survival of the flyweight division, and Joe Rogan <laughs> saying, yeah, I'm so glad they kept this flyweight division around. It's uh, it's really great. I was always a fan of the flyweight division. So they were really trumpeting the flyweights. And then these two, uh, if the flyweights had not been saved, maybe these guys put on a hell of a campaign here because they engaged in a phenomenal fight. Uh, Figueredo won all three rounds, but that really did not tell the story of this fight if you're just looking at the scores. Um, early on, Figueredo is just – his striking is on point in this first round. He's landing these power right hands, and Pantoja came on at the end. And then the second round was just five minutes of nonstop action. They just threw all their defense out the window and just started teeing off on one another. The hands are flying. This arena is going crazy. Uh, Figueredo cl- connected with two right hands, uh, the latter one dropping Pantoja and then finishing him – or at least finishing the round – with hammer fists, we go to the third. Uh, Figueredo landed this brutal right uppercut, continues with elbows, and Figueredo was, I thought, more disciplined down the stretch here because I think he realized I'm ahead here and this dude does have power and I don't want to screw this up. Uh, and Pantoja just went for broke in the final seconds, but it was not enough. I had Devison Figueredo winning 30-27. All three judges scored it the same. How did you score this fight, Phil? And uh, was this your fight of the night? Uh, I did uh, score this the same way as you. It was not my fight of the night, but it was an excellent fight nonetheless. Uh, Figueredo was really uh, outstanding with his striking and his footwork. He was able to get away at, out of out of the way of most of Pantoja's shots, and uh, it, it did look like he hurt his hand in the first round because he wasn't throwing his uh, right as much in the second round, but he did let it go a little bit in the third, but he just landed huge brutal shots and, and really had Pantoja rocked in the third. I think you could have even scored that round 10, eight, maybe. Yeah. And this in Edmonton, they do have the, the new rules in effect. So 10, eights are, yeah, you would think more, uh, they would be more liberal with their 10, eight rounds, but this was a great fight. I would suggest not in Alberta. No, apparently not in Alberta because it it ended up to you would need uh, a weapon, I think, to get a ten eight in some of these fights. That's that's how they feel about liberals in Alberta. That's don't you know that, uh, John? Oh, I, I just walked right into that one. Yes. Yes. Yeah, not not the most uh, liberal of provinces in Canada. Yes, that's right. Gavin Tucker took on Song Woo Choi in featherweight action. Uh, Gavin Tucker, who uh, fights out of Nova Scotia, uh, had not competed since September of 2017. So this was almost uh, two years away from the octagon. And he was giving up eight and a half inches in reach uh, to Choi, who at 74 and a half inches, that's a hell of a reach for a featherweight. Yeah, it, it was uh, quite dramatic. It was even more dramatic than the previous opponent that Gavin Tucker had, uh, Rick Glenn, who had a significant, you know, length at uh, that weight class. So this became an interesting fight. Uh, Tucker early on, he was using a single leg and was able to get the back of Choi in the first round. They had this grappling exchange and Tucker was largely in control. Second round, it looks like more of the same from Tucker. He is able to get another takedown, put Choi up against the fence, and then he ends up, uh, Choi goes for the spinning back fist that was just terribly timed because Tucker just easily took him down as a result of this. But then Tucker lands this illegal knee and Mark Goddard steps in and is informing him that this was illegal. And Tucker is protesting this and Mark Goddard takes a point away from him. And this obviously throws off Tucker. He goes back here and he's getting very aggressive here. Uh, ends up, I, I, Still thought won this round, so we've got a 9-9 round in the second. And then in the third, it's Tucker 
uh, taking him down again, clinches with Choi. He's outworking him. And then it's a later takedown where he gets to the back of Choi, flattened him out, and submitted him with a rear naked choke at 317 of the third round to eliminate any controversy. But um, obviously, panic will set in for a fighter in a three-round fight when you're losing a point like this. But um, I can't say I necessarily disagree with this. When you have these illegal strikes, it dramatically hurts the opponent and that's the idea of a point deduction is that it, it levels the playing field for the the illegal damage that you've inflicted on your opponent yeah i had no problem with the point deduction here uh it was also interesting because it really rattled tucker like pretty obviously uh he was able to regain his composure and then uh, you know get back to his game plan and eventually get the finish so that was pretty impressive that he could sort of reset himself but I don't, did you notice in the first round, he had this weird thing where like two or three times he like completely looked away. Like he either looked at his corner or he was completely looking away from his opponent. And it was like, it was really odd. But uh, anyway, he got it under control and got the finish uh, by a rear naked choke at the end. So impressive. Uh, he was able to really avoid the shots at, uh, even though, uh, Choi was really, uh, looked really dangerous at distance. Yeah. So Tucker improves to 11 and one. Uh, this was a fe- uh, featherweight fight. And then we move on, uh, continuing with the televised prelims with Hakeem Dawadu versus Yoshinori Horie, which I, uh, with the pronunciation made everyone think of Dustin Poirier nonstop in this featherweight fight. Really? Mm-hmm. Horie, it's uh very much uh very close sounding to it. You, you. You're correct. It is very close sounding. But listen, you, everyone, it's one thirty <laughs> in the morning right now. Okay, these are the observations you're getting. No, from no, us. no. But you said everybody, every single person. I surveyed <laughs> them. Every single person thought this. <laughs> Did anyone other than yourself? <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were many. I, everyone, I'm, everyone, tweet Phil and tell him. Uh, that, that you made this observation as well. Yoshinori Horie with Dustin Poirier. Just as I'm sure when uh, Khabib is defending his title, everyone's going to be thinking about Yoshinori Horie in that fight in Abu Dhabi. You sound like uh, Nardwar, the Herm, you know? You know? <laughs> Horie, Poirier. <laughs> these are, these are the, the connections you make. Another Canadian, I, you know, for this Canadian pay-per-view, we're pulling out all the Canadian, you know, uh, references. By the way, I'm in my basement right now where my air conditioning is off and it is Ouch. it is so hot in this room. It is unbelievable. But I'm powering through for everybody. Hakeem Dawadu, Yoshinori Horie. This was an interesting fight to watch for Dawadu, who started off this fight extremely uh, conservative. Um Perhaps like the Alberta government. <laughs> um, he, he, uh, Horier was just circling around him and there was a left hand that Horier landed that, uh, Dewadu kind of stumbled from and Horier was showing decent movement here. Um, and got more confident as the round was progressing because Dewadu was just, he just seemed to not be able to really pull the trigger in this opening round. In the second, he, had more success. Horie continues circling, but ends up entering and gets caught. And Dewadu starts throwing knees to the body and a right to the side of the head. I thought Dewadu won the second round. And then in the third, uh, Dewadu just pulled away. And I thought Dewadu looked like a completely different fighter in the third than he did in the first, because now he had his confidence. He's landing these big shots to Horie against the cage, to the head, to the body. He blasted Horier with this knee to the head. I didn't know how this guy was withstanding this. They clinched. He landed another big knee to the face. Horier is eating all these shots. His right eye is busted open. And then the end, I, I compared Dewadu to a character out of Tekken here at the end. He nailed him with this knee and head kick combination that ended the fight 409 of the third round. And I thought this turned into a pretty impressive performance from Hakeem Dewadu at the end of this. Absolutely. He showed a lot of composure against a very tricky opponent. Uh, Horie was moving very well, going in and out, and he did land uh, many shots. I had him winning the first round, actually. Um, and then uh, he eventually, 
Dao Wadu was able to to just sort of sort of just you know keep pressing and eventually Horier slowed down just enough that he was able to start landing and that small uh, advantage just piled on and he just kept landing and just beat him up to the body and eventually took him out with the uh, TKO head kick. Horier extremely tough though he took so many shots in this fight. He was, he was merc, the, the, you could, he wasn't out on the last shot and the ref could have theoretically let it go, but it was, it was a good stoppage to just step in at that point. Had this gone, uh, this would have been an interesting test if this fight had ended because how you could not have scored this final round of 10 8 is beyond me. Because he was just lighting this guy up like yeah, a firecracker. Definitely. Uh, sidebar, the tweet of the night went to Mark Ramundi of ESPN. Uh, he, I think most had it tied after two rounds. So going into the third, he said, it's definitely, uh, Dawadu or die for Hakeem. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I can greatly appreciate a tweet like that. Alexis Davis and Vivian Araujo was the featured prelim fight. I don't know, Phil, if you caught the beginning of the prelims where they do the opening video package at the start, but whoever was doing the voiceover, his copy that he read identified Canadian legend Alexis Davis. Legend. Which, listen, I, I can greatly appreciate Alexis Davis as a fighter, but Canadian legend is a little rich. I, I, I mean. Legend. Legend, Phil. It's it, mildly hyperbolic. Mildly? <laughs> hyperbolic. Honestly, okay. If Alexis Davis walked through the Eaton Center in downtown Toronto, how many times would she be stopped? <laughs> I mean, to be asked for a spare change, does that count? <laughs> no, it does not. No, you have to be stopped. And oh my God, it's Alexis Davis. UFC 175, you fought Ronda Rousey. That That is the reaction you would have to expect. I think it would be probably zero. Zero? No. I, I'm going to say more than zero. More than you zero. think she'd get multiple people in downtown Toronto in 2019? More than Alexis zero. Davis. <laughs> more than zero is one, and one is not multiple people. Right. So I don't want to pile on Alexis Davis here. I just thought that the, uh, the categorization legends have to be reserved for the elite of the elite. Okay. Obviously, in your book, a legend, a Hall of Famer. I, I, that's not what I said. It's what you implied. You would have stopped her at the mall. So yeah, I, I would have. I don't. I, I don't I doubt that. Would you have? Would, you I would go up there. I'd say, I'd say hello. So? I've interviewed her before. I'd, I'd go up and say hello. <laughs> so maybe you and I are disproving my theory right away. Uh-huh. Um. So anyway, the fight begins here. Uh, Araujo came into the UFC. Her last fight, she fought at bantamweight. Uh, I think she's a natural 115er, so she's compromised and she's fighting here at 125. And it was a big uh, difference in speed here because she was significantly quicker than Alexis Davis. Um, Davis did stun her with a right hand early on, but then she recovered and starts landing on Davis. And Davis uh, does like bust up really easily on her face. And by the third round, her face was a mess here. Uh, she timed these Superman punches and jabs. Uh, the second round though, this was a much better round for Davis. She was able to reverse a takedown and get on top and then, bl- uh, blast her with elbow strikes. And I had it even after two rounds, but then in the third, it was, uh, again, Arujo with her speed. She was landing plenty of shots here. Davis, as I said, looked a mess here, and Davis shot in. Aruja just stood waiting until Eve Levine stood her up, and Davis just clinched, trying to throw knees, but a little bit of too little, too late. And Vivian Aruja wins by unanimous decision. 29-28 from all three judges uh, mirrored my scorecard as well. Did it yours, Phil? It did indeed. You You scored this fight against a Canadian legend. That is just unconscionable. Uh, well, I mean, I call it by the book, John, I can't be swayed by personal bias like some people. Well, not you or me, because I don't think anyone's going to listen to me and think I was uh, I was biased very good after going you, over you legend see, status. You seem to have an axe to grind with Alexis Davis. Did something I don't. Happen I just, I just thought it was just – it Did was something such... happen in that interview? No, that she's you... a wonderful interview, mm. but I just uh, – <laughs> Come on, you, you can't. You, you can't. Are you not in the legend interviewing business? 
Yes, but I'm also in the legend deciphering business too, mm. which yeah, you have to be able to like like who on this card would you categorize as a legend, Phil? Outside of the main event, outside of the main event, Cyborg, Chris one Cyborg. one person, Chris Cyborg, Joe Rogan. There you go. So we we had we had uh, maybe four, maybe four legends. So there you go. It's a it's an exclusive club. Of course. We move on to the pay per view. Uh, any other closing thoughts on on this fight? No, none. Christoph Jocko. I was trying to avoid getting to this fight. Christoph Jocko and Mark Andre Barrio. This was just an insufferable fight. Um, I'm hoping that you can you can shed some positivity on this one. I thought this fight was just terrible. Um, Jocko won the first two rounds. Um, by the thinnest of margins, um, he was able to, to clinch with, uh, Barrio here, landed a, uh, Barrio was trying to attack with, with elbows, not having a ton of success here. He also, he twice tried to lift up Jotko for a slam takedown and both times it did not work out for him. At the end of the first round, he tries this and he loses the position in the final seconds. So at the end of the second round, he tries this again and it goes so badly for him. Okay. Imagine this guy. He lifts him up for this big slam and within seconds, he is not only on bottom, he has been mounted from this. So this is one to maybe shelve. Third round. Uh, I thought this was the closest round. Um, Barrio did land an elbow off the cage and threw some leg kicks in here. Uh, again, very minimal action. I had it 29-28 for Christoph Jocko. Um, the judges had a split decision here. Jocko getting the victory. Uh, did you have any, uh, did you have a better experience watching this fight than I did, Phil? I had a better experience. I mean, it wasn't insufferable for me. I won't, I mean, don't ask me to watch it again. It was a close fight. I did score it actually for Barrio. And normally when, you know, there's a dispute in a fight like this, I like to watch it again, but, uh, this is not the type of fight that that will be happening with. Um, Barrio, he just kind of waded in with power and Jotko tried to counter that and he didn't really land it too much. Power and anyway, I feel like I'm I've already wasted too much time talking about this. No, if you if you want, we could we could pull up. I, I've got the pay per view still here, ordered on Fight Pass. We could go frame by frame of this fight. Which rounds did you score for uh, for Barrio? I scored uh, the second and the third. Okay. Well, listen, this fight you, you could give me whatever score you want. It was just all over the place, and the crowd just seemed completely uninterested in this fight. Olivier Oban Mercier versus Armand Sarukian in lightweight action was next. Oban Mercier, I think, is a really fun character that they have. Um, in this fight, though, uh, Sar- Sarukian had uh, made his debut in his last fight, and they put him against Islam Makachev, and just that is not a fun first fight for anybody in the UFC. He lost that fight by unanimous decision in April. Uh, so bounced back here. First well, he round, did really well in that fight. I mean, that, he, he did. He, it was, a, it was a really good performance. Yeah. It was just, it was a pretty, like, that's a really tough task in your, your very first fight. You're bringing Absolutely. in, you know, uh, a highly touted prospect and you're throwing him in against just a killer. So in the beginning here, uh, Sarukian is clinching right away. Oban Mercier escapes to the center, and whenever he would go to throw a kick, uh, Sarukian would just grab the leg, and he'd, like, twist it like he was Kurt Angle. And Oban Mercier then landed with this knee. Uh, Sarukian again cla- uh, caught the leg, and the crowd was quick to boo. I think they were still living off the fumes of the last fight. Uh, so Sarukian I had winning the first round. Oban Mercier... I thought won the second because he landed maybe the best strike of this fight where he connected with this huge knee and Sarukian just had to grab hold of the leg yet again, but he ate this knee. Um, third round, it was Sarukian shooting in for the single, couldn't take him down, but then he ends up uh, with a left hand and then takes down Oban Mercier and rides out the rest of the fight inside of his guard. And Oban Mercier can't do much off of his back and it was kind of disappointing because I thought this was an even fight going into the third round, but Sarukian won it, not in the most dramatic of ways, but um, wins this fight, 
uh, by unanimous decision. Yeah, he had uh, tremendous wrestling, and you mentioned the way that he was twisting the leg when he would he would sort of get these low singles and hold on to the ankle, and he'd twist the leg, and that would that would sort of like prevent Mercier from escaping, and at the same time, it was enough to keep him off balance, so he couldn't you know throw punches either. So it was a pretty interesting technique, and, and yeah, the last three minutes of the fight, Mercier. He's only got himself to blame. He didn't really do anything to try to even escape or, or, or really go for a finish off the bottom in a fight that he definitely could have won if he won that third round. So I think he'll be kicking himself uh, for a while for this one. Uh, Sarukian, this was his UFC debut, as we mentioned, and improves to 14 and 2. So, his second, uh, an interesting. This is his second UFC fight. Uh, sorry, first win in the UFC, yes. second fight in the UFC. Yes. Uh, so interesting to see. It's a super deep weight class, and, you know, there's some that are very high on him, and we'll see, you know, Oban Mercier. That's, these are, these are two significant, I, I won't go, uh, not legendary status, but, you know, two tough guys that he's had in his first two UFC fights so far. Absolutely. And Obey Mercier did not look bad in this fight until no. sort of that end of it where he just kind of, you know, I think had a mental lapse or something. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he does look like a really good prospect. So I'm curious to see. I think maybe, you know, is it too early for a top 10 opponent? I'm, I'm not sure. I think that might be okay. Ooh, that's, uh, I don't know, lightweight. Lightweight is such a deep division that – I don't know. I don't know. I, that that might be a big ask oh. for this guy in fight number three. All right, all right. Jeff Neal versus Nico Price. Um, we kind of had like two not extremely entertaining fights to start the pay per view, but this kind of a uh, reverse course on that one. Uh, Nico Price came out, and they were just talking about how this guy just he loves to fight, and this guy has also not gone to a decision. Uh, in something like his last seven or eight fights, it's been an incredible stretch this guy's had and now finds himself on the pay-per-view main card. Uh, this fight was just insanity. Uh, they they came out. Jeff Neal was a pretty sizable favorite in this. He was a minus 330 favorite. He slammed down uh, Price at the beginning and goes to the back but loses position. And then Neal connects with a left hand and is landing with a combination. And this kind of wakes up Price who just drops him. And it looks like it was just from a left hand, but it looks like they also cracked heads in the middle of this. And he goes into half guard and then from – uh, full guard, he lands his big shot on top. Neil gets out, gets the takedown, and takes his back, mounting him at the end. So you kind of had that big moment for Price uh, dropping Neil, uh, but the rest of the round was was Neil's, I thought. So I went 10-9 for Neil, but I could see people scoring this uh, round for Nico Price as well. So then in between rounds, they're talking to Nico Price, and... Apparently, his team is telling him to, you know, just stay focused and stay with the game plan. And this second round starts, and he just throws all of that out the window. This dude is coming to just swing like a madman, and that's what he does. He is throwing everything at Jeff Neal. He leaps for this guillotine, and he goes for it. Doesn't have guard, doesn't have a prayer of finishing this guillotine, and he has to give it up because he's going to get Von Flute if he doesn't, and ends up with, with Neil in side control on him. So Neil then gets on top, and Neil is attacking him with ground and pound, and he's in Nico's guard, and his corner's yelling, pass the guard, pass the guard. But Jeff Neal is having all this success. He is blasting this dude with shots from inside the guard. It was kind of reminiscent of Rashad Evans and Forrest Griffin and ends up stopping Nico Price just with shots from in his guard. So I thought this was a really impressive stoppage from Jeff Neal. It came at 239 of the second round as he gets the TKO victory. Yeah, it was very impressive. The The fight was very wild and more within Nico Price's wheelhouse. Um, but Neil kept composure even after getting dropped and uh, was able to really land some big shots. You know, another uh, stoppage that some might say is a little bit early, but uh, he Price was really eating some really big punches and I didn't really have a problem with it. And so, yeah, it was a good win for Neil. 
Yeah, I didn't disagree with the stoppage. He was landing some really big shots um, from that position. So Jeff Neal has now won five straight fights and 10 of his last 11. And he's a fighter that came off of the very first season of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. So he looked very good here against a quality guy in Nico Price. So somebody to watch at 170 pounds. Chris Cyborg, Felicia Spencer. Uh, Chris Cyborg was... Obviously, a very, very big favorite uh, going into this. Uh, the biggest on the card, actually. She was a minus 575 favorite against the Canadian Felicia Spencer. So the fight begins, and Felicia Spencer has her best moment within the first 60 seconds of this fight because she enters and cracks Justino with this elbow, slicing open her forehead. And, I mean, this immediately showed uh, Felicia Spencer... Definitely not being intimidated by Cyborg, taking the fight to her. And if you're, you were just looking visually, this looked much better for Felicia Spencer. But this really was Chris Cyborg. Um, she had a lapse here and took a really bad shot. But I thought controlled every aspect of this round, notwithstanding that one shot. Um, Spencer, though, took an ungodly amount of damage and was in this fight the entire way, Phil. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was pretty exciting. And even though it was, uh, very one sided, uh, it was incredibly entertaining. Felicia Spencer showed so much toughness in it. And, and this was actually, uh, my fight of the night. Yeah. So in, in the first round, Cyborg outstruck her in significant strikes 42 to 20. And she's just blasting her with right hands, uh, leg kicks, um, you know, she's just going to town here on Spencer. In the second round, she's continuing this. Uh, there were huge chants for Felicia Spencer. The entire arena was behind her. Now, the most, the strangest part of this fight was not from either of these women, but from Joe Rogan. Early in the first, or I, I guess like midway through the second, the first round, he's explaining that he's talking about Chris Cyborg and whether she can with, withstand this pace and saying, we don't know if she can go five rounds at this pace. And we're thinking like that, that's kind of a weird observation. This is not a five. This is not a championship fight. Maybe he just had some weird laps. So in the second round, he brings this up again saying that, you know, we've got another three rounds of this and John Anik has to correct him and say, no, 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 just one more round after this. And Rogan, that kind of ended his, uh, the, this cardio quiz that he had of, whether Chris Cyborg could last 25 minutes or not in a 15 round fight, 15 minute fight. Yeah, it, it was, it was a bizarre one. He had a few of these moments to, to, tonight. You know, this was not Joe Rogan's finest performance tonight. I thought, I, I thought the commentary suffered from not from John Anik, but I thought Rogan, uh, I think Rogan's really come to, work off the third man in the booth, which we did not have tonight. Uh, we, there was no Dominic Cruz. There was no Daniel Cormier. Uh, and being back in the two-man booth, uh, I, I think that like Rogan did not have a great night on this broadcast. Yes, I concur. I, and I, I think, yeah, the, the not being with the third man, I, I think Rogan could still be okay in a two-man situation, but it just seemed like he was just off today. I, I, I'm not entirely sure what it was, but he definitely got, had his moments where he was like transfixed on certain topics. Like even in the observation of how much he was observing how tired Cyborg was, it's like, yeah, she was tired and, uh, Felicia Spencer was controlling position a lot, but it's not like she was really slowing down and stopping landing shots. It was a tough fight for her so it, like he was overemphasizing the tiredness to begin with not to mention the fact that he didn't realize how long the fight was so and then there were other moments throughout the night here or there as well yes we'll get we'll get to some of joe rogan's finest in the main event um so the second round uh cyborg has her down she's kind of like in a north south position because uh spencer was going for an oma plata and was not going to be getting that uh chris just landed this huge superman punch at the end another good round for cyborg and then we go into the third and i thought this was the best of the three for cyborg she's using her jab inside leg kicks spencer's having no success with takedowns and this elbow lands from cyborg more right hands she just tees off on her 
Uh, I went 10-8 on this one. Um, Spencer, to her credit, she withstood a lot in this fight and I think greatly enhanced her stock even in a sound defeat here. Uh, Cyborg won. Uh, unanimous decision. All of them scored it 30-27. I went 30-26. Um, did you have any different score, Phil? No, I had it the same way, 30-26 with the last round being 10-8. Definitely Felicia Spencer showed a lot of heart and toughness and and skills in this fight. And I think there's going to be a lot of interest to see what she can do against uh, Amanda Nunez, potentially, uh, as crazy as that sounds. Well, yeah, it does sound crazy, but it's also like that was kind of the deflating part here is that where does a Felicia Spencer go in this featherweight division? I mean, she fought Megan Anderson. She's fought Cyborg. She's not fighting Amanda Nunez. I mean, that's the majority of this featherweight division. I mean, it's not a very plentiful weight class at this moment. So it's just finding bodies at this point uh, because I don't know what a Felicia Spencer necessarily does in this division. I don't think it's going to be all that easy finding fights for her. Uh, I agree. Um, You know, top of mind, Holly Holm seems to make sense. Both of them coming off losses. I know Holly Holm, that hers was at uh, bantamweight, but she's fought at featherweight before, so. Could be. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, Felicia Spencer's in this weird role where it's like she's, if that's the kind of opposition you're coming up with, like it's significantly like higher competition than she's probably ready for at, at this juncture in her career. Um but yeah, we'll see what happens with her. I think she definitely made a, a very strong showing for herself in this fight, even losing all three rounds here. And then Cyborg afterwards was asked what's next for her. If you're not aware, this was the last uh, fight on her UFC contract. And she just said that, well, you're I'm going to have to talk to my manager. And apparently on, on Twitter, Amanda Nunez was very much campaigning for this. And I guess Cyborg responded and just said, January. Okay. So is that the fight you want to see, Phil? A featherweight rematch between Amanda Nunez and Chris Cyborg? Or is there, or do you think if you're Chris Cyborg, are you looking elsewhere for, um, just the biggest paying contract you can find? And if you're not happy in the UFC? If I'm Chris Cyborg, I would be looking for the best long term financial opportunity because this is going to be her the last contract on her career of her career i I would think and so if somebody like bellator or one is gonna pay her a lot of money i think she should entertain that um but you know she's a competitor and i i have no doubt that she thinks she can beat amanda nunez so uh that plays a factor into her decision I would like to see that fight. I don't know if I'm clamoring for it because the last one was so decisive, but um, the fact that it was so short makes me, you know, yearn to see what would happen if it played out longer. So why not? Yeah, I, I don't think the fight, maybe it doesn't end in that quick of fashion, but I think Amanda Nunez is going to be highly, fa- heavily favored in that next fight. And Joe Rogan, we already know what his talking point is for that five round fight. Sure. I mean, he's all set. Uh, by the way, Chris Cyborg went on the ESPN post fight show wearing a t shirt that read Cyborg versus Nunez two coming January 2020. Okay. So wow. She's campaigning now for, I guess, a big contract. I mean, this seems to be the strategy. Make everyone want this fight so she gets the payday that she's clamoring for. Great. Good. That, that makes perfect sense. I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is it. This is the biggest, you know, she never got that Ronda Rousey fight. So, and that first Nunez fight sort of just established the status of Nunez. So this is, this really is the biggest fight she could do in her career. And so she wants to get paid off of it and more power to her. I hope she gets paid a lot. And Hey, I, I'm, I'm going to even my, my earlier comments. Okay. This is going to balance everything out. Is she, is, who, who's a who holds, who holds a stoppage victory over Amanda Nunez back in strike force? Uh, I don't, is it, is it, Alex, is it 
Alexis Davis. It is Canadian legend Alexis Davis. Wow. There you go. There you go. There you go. You see? Do you do you know how quick like unfortunately she's now suffered three losses in a row, but I'm serious, like she would be in a position where if she put together a win or two, she would probably be fast tracked to a title fight just off of that because of the lack of challenges that they have for Amanda Nunez right now. And if you're in this contract dispute with Cyborg and you just want to keep Amanda Nunez busy, that would have been a great option. But unfortunately, she has not won any fights lately. Fortunately, she's not won any fights lately. Could be, it could be the other way to look at things. Uh, then we go to the main event. This was the big fight. Max Holloway, Frankie Edgar, uh, after several attempts to put this fight together, uh, it finally happens. And, you know, if you had any questions about Max Holloway, and I definitely had some coming off of, you know, the Dustin Poirier fight, the issues that he had last year um, with, with weight, with not being able to make certain fights. Uh, I think... Man, Max Holloway, not too many questions after after this one. I thought this was uh, an incredible performance from Max Holloway. Um, he had a game plan where it was simply he was going to perfect his jab throughout five rounds, and it seemed that his jab was as effective in the first round as it was in the fifth, if not more so by the end. Uh, he also, in that opening round, scored these two right uppercuts. The last one just rocked Frankie Edgar's head back. Um those uppercuts uh, were what uh, opted me to score the first round for Holloway. This seemed to be round one seemed to be the only kind of debated round of where which side it went. Did you go Holloway or Edgar in the first? I went Holloway. He just Second had, round. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, go I ahead. mean, he just had the, the more powerful shots. Frankie was did land a few combinations and he landed – um, some low kicks that did have some power, but the actual like real heavy shots were maxes, and that's why I gave him the round. Yeah, I, I thought just on those uppercuts alone, like those are really significant strikes. In the second, much more definitive Max Holloway round, he was defending the takedowns very effectively. I think it was the first six attempts uh, he stopped from Edgar. Uh, Holloway connected with this clean left, then moved to the right with a solid shot, more jabs, and then at the end, blasts him with a spinning back kick. Uh, right, it sends Edgar flying into the cage. Third round, uh, the first half, it was kind of a tentative round, uh, but then Holloway picks up again with the jab. He stops the single leg. And Holloway, again, is going for these uppercuts and hurts Edgar. Uh, but then Edgar does respond after getting hurt with his first takedown of the fight and puts him down by the fence. And Holloway gets up at the end. And this is where Joe Rogan starts talking about, you know, it's it's never a good thing to be on your back at the end of a round. And he's discussing, like, maybe this takedown was enough to win this round. And... I don't think a, a soul was thinking this other than Joe Rogan that Edgar had any any claim to this round based off of this takedown that Holloway got right back up from. There were no real strikes attached to this takedown. It was just a simple takedown. And I could not imagine the fury online every single UFC pay-per-view if Joe Rogan did live scoring on the broadcast. Could you imagine? You know what? I mean – John, you sound upset, but he was making a point as to what the judges could observe. And what happened with the scorecards at the end of this fight? You know what? There were, there was a crazy scorecard. Yes. Yeah. I, I could see one round going to Frankie Edgar, and that was the first. And I don't think there was an argument for the rest of them. So I, I wonder – I wonder which is like, is it is it that Joe Rogan is trying to get into the head of the judges? Yes, and that yes, is his, yes. Or is yes. that his actual thinking here? No, 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 no. He is. He is. He's thinking. He's commenting from a perspective of what a judge is looking at and how. And I don't even think he's necessarily commenting from the perspective of what the actual judging criteria is. It's sort of like his historical interpretation of how judges react, you know, to guys getting those late takedowns and ending around on top. Well, 
uh, I haven't seen the judges' breakdowns uh, and whether the one judge had this third round uh, for for Edgar or not. But yes, there there will be a scorecard that did give two rounds to Edgar. Uh, the fourth round, more jabs from Holloway. It's a very you know, it's a it's a patterned offense from him, and it's kind of like a a decent round for Frankie Edgar. Up until the final minute when Holloway just pours it on with these power shots and nails a spin kick to the body again at the end of the fourth round. Uh, much better lasting impression on a judge. A spin kick to the body than a takedown, in my opinion. And then in the fifth, it was more Holloway. Um, just with the better shots. Um, Edgar trying for leg kicks, but it was just not enough here. And Holloway just jabbed him to death in this final round. And... I scored this 50-45 for Max Holloway. I thought that that would be the uh, the majority of people's scorecards. And the judges had it 50-45 twice and 48-47. And I, I can take a 49-46 card. I thought the first was close enough. But I don't know what second round Frankie Edgar won. I completely agree. I had it... Uh... 50-45 as well, and uh, yeah, the first round is the only one that I can really observe as possibly being for Frankie. So it was uh, – they interviewed Frankie Edgar after, and man, was it a sad interview where I wasn't expecting him to retire, but when he said, you know, I've got my family here – you were starting to perk up and be like, oh, my God, is he going to retire? But he did not uh, make any such announcement. But this guy was devastated losing this fight. It could be his final title fight. You never say never. But uh, I would have if, if you were asking me, is this guy ever going to fight for a title again? My inclination is to say no. Um, but it was a clear cut victory for Max Holloway. And afterwards, they interviewed Alexander Volkanovsky. They actually brought him onto the broadcast with Anik and Rogan to interview him about the fight. And he thought it was much closer than the judges had scored it. And he, if you're, you weren't aware, he was actually brought in to make weight in case something happened to either guy. Uh, so he was, uh, flowing in for that very reason. And perhaps he will be next in line for the next featherweight championship fight well he's certainly deserving uh his last few wins have been incredibly impressive and uh i really like the matchup with max holloway i think he does uh, pose some interesting problems i think he's in some ways he could be a better version of frankie and and frankie did have some success in this fight despite the one-sided nature of the scorecards um I, i actually thought frankie did better than i anticipated i thought that eventually Max was going to be able to um, completely find him and just light him up. And and Max definitely had a ton of success, but Frankie kept the head movement. He kept, he avoided a lot of stuff. He kept his good footwork. He landed shots to the body and combinations of his own. Um, So, uh, Anyway, uh, I I like the idea of Volkanovski versus uh, Holloway, and uh, I, I look forward to that fight. Uh, sounds like it might be in Australia in the fall. And I am certain that we're looking at, you know, Max Holloway. I don't think anyone thinks he's done at lightweight. I fully expect him to eventually make it back there. It's just a question of how many how many more weight cuts does he have in him down to featherweight? You have Volkanovski and. You know, someone like a Zabit Magomed Sharapov, is he going to stick around for someone like that? And is ultimately, are, are we, do we kind of have our days numbered of Max Holloway as an active featherweight before he revisits lightweight again? Cause I think ultimately that's where that guy is going to find his eventual home. I agree. That's where he's going. But I, I mean, he had that scare last year. Um, when he missed, um, uh, the, uh, who, who was he scheduled to fight when he had to pull out, um, the week of the fight? Oh God. It was, um, there were several last year. Well, he had the one with, uh, where he was going to fight, uh, Nurmagomedov. That was the Brooklyn fight that got changed at the no. last minute. Yeah. No, 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 and no, then no. the later date one where, uh, Brian Ortega. Okay. So, okay. So they just rescheduled that event. Okay. Yeah. So yep. it certainly looked scary last year when he, when, uh, he wasn't able to make that fight. 
But in retrospect, it sounds like that was some type of strange anomaly. We don't really know all the details around it. It sounds like a very odd story. And he has he's made uh, weight now uh, twice since then. Hasn't seemed to be a problem. So, uh, I mean, maybe it'll be okay for him to make the weight going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I look at it as well, coupled just with, you know, where where is he going to find his biggest fights? And I think... Mm-hmm. Many of them are going to be at lightweight. I mean, this guy has gone through a lot of the key guys. Um, you know, you look beyond a, a Zabit, there is, they announced a fight with uh, Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens for later this year. Uh, that's a great fight, but it's, you know, Max Holloway is right now, I'd say the big contenders are Volkanovsky and Zabit Magomed Sharapov. Those to me are the, the key contenders and they're, they're fights that come with a lot of risk if you're Max Holloway and, not the not the sexiest headlining fights either. Yeah, you you raise a good point. Definitely more allure of names at 155, but he's still very young, and uh, I think he's got a lot of fight left in him. And maybe he wants to just establish a legacy of being the greatest featherweight champion ever. And there's nothing wrong with that. So what was your overall opinion of UFC 240? I, I thought this turned in as there were some great fights on the, on the prelims, some great performances. And I think save for Christoph Jocko and Mark Andre Barrio, I thought this was a pretty entertaining card overall. Yeah, it was an entertaining card. It was a typical UFC pay-per-view event that drags in late into the night. Um, but th- thankfully the fights were pretty good. And uh, hopefully people thought they got their money's worth. Uh, the co-main event uh, was excellent and seeing and the main event was quite good seeing uh, Max Holloway do what he did. And, you know, Frankie Edgar show his patented toughness uh, was impressive. So uh, I enjoyed the event. Uh, we I was going to do something we, we have never done before, oh, Phil. Ooh. So. I'm going to quickly go through the main events of the next few cards coming up. Okay. And I'm going to get, I'm going to put you on the spot yeah. with your predictions. Okay? okay. I'm going to, okay. Starting with next weekend, uh, I'm going to give you two fights here on the card. Jim Miller versus Clay Guida. Ooh, uh, ooh, ee, uh, Clay Guida. Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. Colby Covington. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's going to be a really rough fight for, one Robbie Lawler. The following weekend in Uruguay, Valentina Shevchenko versus Liz Carmouche for the flyweight title. Are you serious? Are you asking me this, really? Uh, let me rephrase. <laughs> Liz Carmouche, who holds a victory over the Valentina legend, Shevchenko. The legend. Liz Carmouche? The legend? Liz Carmouche? Is that who you're talking about? Well, if fighting Ronda Rousey qualifies you as a legend, then Liz Carmouche, sign her up. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a different Liz Carmouche. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to have to go with uh, Valentina Shevchenko on that one. Really going out on a limb on that one. And then the next time you and oh, I will be It back. will be Liz Carmouche <laughs> who's going out on a limb on that one. Oh, my goodness. Wow, I set you up for that one. Uh, the next time, uh, providing you don't uh, ditch me on August 17th. I'm we've thinking got... about it. <laughs> this, this was it for you. It's like, this this guy is uh, enough. Uh, we've got Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic for the UFC heavyweight title in a rematch. Number one, pick the winner. Number two, well, number one, who is the winner? Uh, Daniel Cormier. And number two, is this his final fight? No. No, he fights again. Yes. How about Anthony Pettis versus Nate Diaz on that same card? Ooh, that's a great one. That's that's such that's so intriguing. I love that. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Anthony Pettis. I love Nate Diaz. So, oh my gosh. And the last one, Yoel Romero, Paulo Costa. Oh, I love that as well. I love Yoel Romero, and I'm gonna pick Yoel Romero in that one. This is a those top three card. fights are, are really good. Those top three are great. Uh, Ian Heinish versus Derek Brunson. Oh, and right. Gabriel on. Benitez versus Sodiq Youssef are the, that's your pay-per-view main card. Oh, really? So, so Ian Heinish, they're really, uh, they're, they're going hard. His story's he's, incredible. So, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't heard about him, definitely, uh, 
go read up on him. It's it's quite the life story that he's had, and he'll be featured on the pay-per-view. So that's coming up in three weeks. Uh, I think a, a very big card for the UFC uh, to close out the summer. Well, Phil, I want to thank you so much for staying up uh, until 2.10 a.m. Eastern time to chat about UFC 240. This would be way more dull if I was talking to myself in this uh, in this incredibly heated studio that I'm in right now. Uh, well, I'm glad that I can be amusement for you. Well, that is it for us. Uh, Phil, is there anything you want to, uh, is there anything you want to mention? Anything you want to promote? No, I've got nothing to promote. Just, uh, you know, uh, thank you to What, what all- about the Briscoe Brothers Body Shop? Well, uh, you know, I'm still waiting for my t-shirt. <laughs> it was, I think, I, I don't remember how long ago that was ordered. Uh, that was decades ago. So, uh, we'll see. Maybe it got lost at some point. It's at my parents' house or something. Well, this has been our UFC 240 post show. It's been worth the listen. And we will chat with you following the UFC's next pay per view, UFC 241.